Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message. Praise God. So glad you guys are here today. You guys ready to have some fun? This is going to be a little different format. We've got uh, three of us, so we've got limited time. So if one of us would happen to breach that time, you might hear some loud, funny noise or some... There it is. Isn't that peaceful? So if you hear that, it's, it's happening. It's going down. I'm so turn to your neighbor and say, man, I'm so glad you didn't go to the lake this week. Because you really need to hear this. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn them to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 16 through 18, I'll just read it if you don't have it. It says this, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and do not touch the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. In keeping with our season of Who Am I, the title of my message today is You Are the Temple of the Living God. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word that returns not void. Today, Father, we ask you to touch our hearts, that we would walk out of here with a better understanding of your love for us. We thank you for it today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Now, I kind of grew up in church, and so when we talk about this, this concept of temple of God, uh, it was always used in this kind of context. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, and don't date girls that do. Right? And I, I did that. I, didn't, I married a girl who doesn't do any of those things. So, so I did that part of it. But as I began to study and look further and deeper into this temple, man, there, there's so much more to it. And Pastor Marcus, who was with us last weekend, reminded me of something. He reminded me that God uses physical pictures to illustrate spiritual truths. So as I began to look at the temple and what went on there, it began to hit me a little harder, right? So the temple is the dwelling place of the Shekinah glory of God. That's pretty heavy, right? Yeah. I, the Bible also calls us priest, that we're a royal priesthood. And so when you begin to look at the temple and you begin to look at the priesthood, understand we have some priestly duties. Anybody got any priestly duties? No nacho fans? Just me. All right, never mind. <laughs> it's kids' ministry. I'm going to talk about Nacho Libre. Anyway, so we have some stuff we got to do. We're priests. They worked in the temple. Their day job was taking care of the temple. So we got to take care of our temple. That's part of what we do, right? We house the Shekinah glory of God. We have to understand this is about our will. Everybody say, I will. Yeah. No, it's about will. It's our will to purpose. Here's the great irony. Your will has to be willing to 
to forego its will. That's the great irony. You know what the, the opposite of irony is? Wrinkly. Yeah, you've got to lay it down. And so the only thing that can help us do this is that we really have got to find out our purpose. We really got to understand our purpose. And Jesus outlined it pretty good for us. He said, love God, love people, make disciples. So when I'm filtering all this, the way that I wanted to set this up for you is that I'm talking about us being the temple and priest so that we can fulfill the purpose of loving God, of loving others, and being, making disciples. So that's the point of where we're trying to head now, okay? I want to read 1 John 4, 12 to you. It says this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Okay, so I am a children's pastor, so I did bring a laser light, right? Because what helps me is visuals. Anybody else? Anybody else like visuals? So I'm going to put a visual up here. We're talking about the temple in 1 Kings chapter 7. This is Solomon's temple. And I wanted to point out a few things to you because we're going to talk about them a little bit. See right here? This is the holy place. This is the, the altar of incense. This is a little priest guy here. This is the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was held. And this is a cross section where they've opened that up. Some things I want to point out. First of all, these lavers. There's 10 of them, five on each side. These were bronze lavers. They had wheels. They held water. And they were made with miratized bronze, the same thing they would use mirrors for back then. And there's five on the other side as well. This right here is called the Molten Sea. And it was a huge bath of water. There was 12 ox that supported it underneath. And then, of course, here's the, here's the, the altar, the altar of sacrifice. Now, it was right up there in front of everybody. It's kind of a big deal. So I wanted you guys to get an image of this thing. The thing that I want to point out to you right now, though, are these chambers right here. They were not part of the temple. They were built uh, around the temple on three sides. And these were actually like uh, priest locker rooms. They were called the secret chambers. So the priests would put their stuff in there because when they went to serve in the temple, they would have a long time to be there. So they would put their personal effects in there, things that they valued, things that they gave worth to. Now, here's where it gets funny. In Nehemiah, it talks about uh, when they went back into Jerusalem and the, and the temple had been burned down, they cleaned out those secret chambers. You want to know what was in there? There was idols in there, priests that were worshiping idols, things that they held dear that they were hiding doing the work of priests. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Hold on to that for a minute. And let's go, let's get started here. Now, uh, imagine, close your eyes. Imagine this afternoon, you're sitting down, you're on the couch with your, with your spouse or your kids, and you're just relaxing, and everything's good, and you're just in your nice home. And then all of a sudden, you get a phone call that you got a friend coming over, and then it's jumped to attention. Everybody go to work, right? We've got to clean this place up. Anybody do a 10-second tidy, just me? Okay. Today, we're going to talk about a 10-minute temple tidy, okay? And the way we're going to do it is we're going to illustrate what the priest work did in the temple to help us understand what God wants us to do to our temple, okay? So the first thing you need to write down is a big R, and that R is recognize. Now, the first thing that the priest did when he came onto the, the inner courts there is he would go to those bronze laborers on the side, one of the ten. And he had to wash up. He had to cleanse. He had to, he had to get the dirt off. 
And remember, it was made out of miratized bronze, right? So he could see his face. Our first step is we've got to understand that uh, we've got stuff on us. There's some stuff in there. There's some sin that we don't talk about. There's some pain. There's some hurts. There's some things that we have got to cleanse to be able to, to truly be the temple of God, to love God, to love others, and to uh, make disciples. The Bible says that we've got to be a living sacrifice, right? I don't know if you guys know anything about sacrifices, but if you look in the Old Testament, all the sacrifices were dead. Being a living sacrifice means you have a choice. Everybody say, I have a choice. Yeah, so we got to crawl up on the we got to crawl up on the altar and present ourselves a living sacrifice, um, and that's work and that's hard sometimes. Also, understand this: this work that we're talking about doing, this isn't for salvation. When Paul was writing this, he was writing it to the Corinthian church. These are believers. Okay, these people had a relationship with through Jesus. They knew about God. They were a church. That's what we are. So this is work that we do in addition. They would wash their hands and their feet because they, not all of them was dirty, just their hands and their feet. We just have some stuff that we've got to clear up. And the way that we do that is first, number one, we've got to confess it. Remember the, the Christian bar of soap, right? 1 John 1, 9, if, we're faith, if, we're, if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive them. We've got to confess it. We need to call them what they are. Lord, I've got, man, that's, i got hatred in me. I've got unforgiveness in me. I've got anger in me. We've got to call them what they are. We've got to confess them, not bury them, not keep them in the secret chambers. We need to drag them out and allow God to do the work in us. And then we need to repent of those things. Lord, I, I, Lord, I need you to take this from me. When you go digging in your secret chambers, you might even find some things that you've been hanging on to for a really long time. And this work becomes way different. I got to tell you, you can't do it on your own. You've got to remember that you're standing in the position that God has called you to be, which is the priest and the temple. And you're going to have to rely on his power through you to be able to forgive some things that you need to forgive. To be able to ask forgiveness of some things that you haven't wanted to talk about. In order for us to be the temple of God. To be the image bearer of God, this is a process we need to walk through. The next thing we need to do, everybody write, release. The priest would take these sacrifices to the brazen altar, and they would light them up, catch them on fire. All these things that we see, all these things that we've identified, these hearts, these pains, these sins, we need to scoop them up and take them to the altar and release them to God. Maybe you need to do a physical exercise. Maybe you need to go home today and do that reflection. Write down what, you, what hurts you have, what sins you have, all of those things. Go in your backyard, get next to your fire pit, and light it up, baby. Grab some marshmallows and release that to God. Yeah? When you do that, now we can go to the next step. Now, remember, altar work is dirty work. You get some blood on you. You're going to get some ash on you, some soot on you. The next thing the priest would do is he would go to that molten sea, and he would fully immerse his entire body in the water. 
which is our call, to reload. The Bible says to wash with the water of the word. All the things that people have spoken to you, all the things that hurts that you've been carrying around, that you've just cleaned out, that you've just truly given to God, now we've got to replace them with what the word of God says about who you are. You've got to re- reprogram this and this to what God says you are and do it in his power. This is, this is hard work. But God didn't call us just to be a vessel. We should be a colander. Imagine being full and the glory of God, the honor of God, the love of God spewing out all over so that we can truly love God, we can love others, and we can make disciples. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce to you my friend, Pastor Yolanda Carroll. Hello, Victory Church. Good morning. Um, I'm excited you guys are here. I'm excited I'm here. I'm Yolanda, and um, I get the privilege of being the pastor over our prayer team and over our care team and over our freedom ministries. And what that means is it doesn't mean that I spend all my time um, doing these amazing things, uh, ministering to everybody. It means that I oversee an incredible some incredible teams of people that lay down their life to minister to people. And so I want to say thank you to all of them for um, all that they give. But So we are talking today about identity. And I want you to turn to Luke 15. Pastor John's been talking to us about Luke 15. And verse 11 says, a certain man had two sons. Pastor John has talked to us about those two sons. There's the son that wanted and the son that worked. And he's been talking to us about the orphan heart. Well, today, we're going to take a moment to talk about the certain man, the certain man being the father who loved. So uh, this past Sunday, Pastor Marcus was with us, and one of the things that he mentioned when he was teaching was that we tend to be a little obsessed with ourselves. And that really kind of, I find that funny because it's really so true. And if you, today, if you spend any time on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, you're going to see people who are completely self-involved and obsessed with themselves. Man, they they are telling you about themselves. They are talking about themselves. They are singing about themselves. They're doing little dances about themselves. Everything about ourselves. Now, I don't really spend, I don't have a TikTok account. I have an Instagram account. I honestly don't even remember how to get on it. But it did make me, (laughs) that's kind of sad, it did make me think of this. It made me think, how many personality tests have I taken in my life? And I started thinking through that, and I thought, man, I've taken the DISC test. I've taken the Enneagram test. I've taken the life language test. I've taken the love language test. And I'm sure all a bunch of other tests that I don't even remember, um, all in an effort to learn something about myself, to hear somebody tell me something about myself, because we love to talk about ourselves. We love to hear about ourselves. So I want you guys to, so I'm not alone in this, if you've ever taken a personality test, raise your hand with me. Yeah, see, right? It's fun, right? It's fun to get the results back, and you read through them, and you're telling everybody what it says about you. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and it's a great tool, but the one thing that's true is it can tell you a lot of things about you, but a personality test can never tell you who you are, right? They cannot tell you who you are. As a matter of fact, there's not really anything in this life that is designed to tell you who you are except for one thing, 
um, Genesis 1.26. Genesis 1.26, God tells us very plainly who we are. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then that word image and the word likeness, it's talking about a copy or a replica. It tells us who we are. So what you do in life can't tell you who you are. It may tell you some things about you, but it can't tell you who you are. Did you know that even your family doesn't necessarily tell you who you are? Unless your family is pointing you and telling you who God is, your family can't even tell you who you are, right? One thing tells us who we are. So I had a friend, um, I have a friend, and she, when she was very young, she was adopted. Um, her, her mother was on drugs and all the kids were adopted, but she was adopted into a highly dysfunctional family. Um, like when they introduced her, they would introduce her like this. They would say, oh, well, this is our daughter. We adopted her. Nobody else wanted her, right? Like a badge of honor, right? And so um, she was mistreated in a lot of ways. As you can imagine, she grew up with this lack of acceptance and with this lack of identity, with this question of who am I? And so years later in her life, when she was in her 50s, in her 50s, she meets her biological mother. She was very excited about this moment. She meets her biological mother. And um, I get a call from her. And she goes on to tell me that um, her, her biological mother uh, really didn't, didn't want to meet her. She wasn't interested in meeting any of the kids. She didn't want to have a relationship with them. And my friend told me this. She had this revelation in that moment. She said, I realize it doesn't matter. She said, because that's not who I am. In that moment, she said, I realize who I am. I belong to the Lord. I am God's daughter. And in that moment, she had revelation of this scripture that she was created in the image and in the likeness of God. And that is her identity, nothing else. So I want you guys to turn to Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-7, we see Adam God comes and he says, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so that word, the breath of life, it's not talking about oxygen. God didn't breathe oxygen into Adam's lungs in that moment. In that moment, what it's talking about is it's talking about um, divine inspiration. It's talking about the soul, right? It's talking about intellect. In that moment, it's telling us that God imparted his living spirit into this copy that he had made of himself, and man became alive like God, right? Like God, in his likeness and in his image, he became a living, breathing thing. And in that moment, Adam had his very first knowledge of God, but his very first knowledge of God wasn't information, it was an experience, a highly intimate face-to-face -face experience with God. And as Adam grew in his relationship and knowledge of God, it was through that relationship. Adam spent time walking with God. Adam spent time talking with him. He spent time, they got to know each other through experience. Adam helped God name the animals that God had created. That had to be a fun time, right? That had to be fun. They had experiences together, and that's how they knew each other. The thing is this, our knowledge 
of God was never meant to be separated from our experience of God. Never. Our, the way we are supposed to know who God is is through experience and relationship. I want you guys to think for a moment of a person in your life, the person that you feel the closest to, the person who really knows you and you know them. Now I want you to think for a moment that you've never met them. You've read about them. You've heard other people talk about them, right? You've seen them. You've seen the things that they do, but you've never actually experienced them. You just have information about them. Do you think that that connection would be the same? Do you think that those moments whenever something happens in your life and they're the person you think of that you want to call and talk to about it, would you have that same reaction in that moment? I don't think we would because it's, our, it's not our knowledge of somebody that connects us and tells us who they are. It's our experience with them that connects us and tells us who they are. And the thing that's so important about that is that without understanding and knowing who he is, who God is, we cannot understand and know who we are because we are a copy of him. So I have a special guest with me today who's going to help me illustrate this for you. So how many of you know who this guy is? Right? Yeah, Buzz Light, you're right. You say it with me. To infinity and beyond, right? He's pretty cool. He's fun to play with, although I got the cheap version, so his wings don't come out and his little laser doesn't buzz or anything, but he's still fun, you know? So here's the thing. This is not Buzz Lightyear. This is a copy of Buzz Lightyear, right? And, and that's the great thing about the movie was, if you've seen the movie, it's a, it's a movie about some toys, this, this little boy's toys. And um, the favorite toy was this cowboy doll named um, Woody. And, but the little boy has a birthday and he gets this new toy. And so he gets a Buzz Lightyear and Buzz comes into the room and he doesn't know that he's a copy. He thinks he's Buzz Lightyear. He's going around trying to zap things with his laser. He's going around. He thinks he's flying, but really he's just bouncing off things, right? He doesn't really think that he can breathe without his helmet. And so Woody spends all this trying time to trying to convince him and show him, you are just a toy. You are not Buzz Lightyear. And I kind of relate to that because often I live my life as if I am God, not as if I'm a copy of God. I often live my life from a place of saying, mm, I think I know what's best for me. Uh, you know what? I think God's telling me this, but if I really think about it, that doesn't make any sense because this makes sense to me, right? You know, like how many times have you reasoned yourself out of something you believe God is saying to you? So I often spend my life as if I am God rather than a copy of God. I spend a lot of time thinking that I am right and that the way that I think it should be is the way it should be. And um, you can ask my roommates if you, if they think that's true. They'll, they'll tell you. But um, anyway, so... Um, the truth is we're not God. We're a copy of God. And although it can be fun for a season to live our lives as if we are God, when we hear the reality that we are made in his image, that we're a copy of him, that we carry, we are a, a representation, a visual representation of who he is and what he is like, we tend to shrink back from that reality, right? That's a little overwhelming. That's a little scary. You want me to be what people look at to say, oh, that's who God is. That's what God's like. But yes, that's what God wanted. That's the way God created us. He created us in his image and his likeness that's who we are. You are a direct representation 
of who God is and what God is like. That is your identity. Everything else, everything else is just things about you. Everything else is things about you, but that is who you are. So we spend a lot of time wanting to know, God, what and where, when, what, where, when, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? When, God, is this going to happen? God desires to talk to us about who, who, who he is and who you are. And it's through that relationship I want to encourage you that you will never be satisfied by knowing what you should do, where you should be, and when it's going to happen. Your satisfaction and your fulfillment comes from knowing who you are, but not because we're so special, not because knowing who we are is so special, but because in order to know who we are, you have to know who he is. And it's through knowing who he is that we find fulfillment and identity. So I encourage you, get to know who he is, and you will know who you are. Now I want to introduce to you the amazing worship pastor, Pastor Kevin. Amen, amen. Who's going home to watch Toy Story? Listen, um, I think it's such a blessing. Turn to your neighbor and say, who am I? Now turn to your other neighbor and say, you are forgiven. Amen. That's what I'm going to talk about on today. Once again, I am Pastor Kevin. Uh, I get the opportunity to serve as the worship pastor, and I love it each and every week. But I want to jump right in. Um, You are forgiven. It reminds me of this story. I'll tie it all in. But um, I love to play basketball. If you know me, you know I love to play basketball. Um, I I, I get down on the court. And um, the more I go play basketball, the more I realize that I sweat a whole lot. And the more I sweat and the older I get, I'm realizing that my sweat stinks. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it stinks. It stinks. And uh, I remember this one time I went to the gym on a Saturday morning uh, to go play basketball, played ball. Afterwards, I threw my bag inside of the trunk. And normally I would take that bag out, go wash all my stuff. But I forgot. I forgot all my sweaty shoes and shirt. And three days later, I go to the trunk. I open up the trunk and it hit me. The trunk just stunk. I mean, it was bad. I took the bag out of the trunk and the smell just lingered. It just just stayed around for a while. I don't know about you, but have you ever done something and and, and people kind of looked at you up and up and upside down and it's because your sin just lingered around a long time that the mess that you got in, that's all they referred to you as, you just kind of, hmm? That's kind of what happened in this story in the Bible. This woman, um, her stink just lingered around. Her sin lingered around. In Luke chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, verse 36, it says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. I want to stop real fast because this says that a a woman learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. I just want to submit to you, have you ever thought about what the church would look like if people realized that Jesus was going to be in the house? If people knew that Jesus was going to show up every Sunday morning, these seats might be filled if they knew that the Savior, the healer, the one who redeems, the one who justified was going to be in the house. Amen. So this woman, this woman realized 
that Jesus was going to be in the house. And she brought a jar of perfume. She stood behind him, verse 38, she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I, say, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Uh, Jesus goes on a parable of talking about who would love more, the person who has much let or little debt. But then Jesus also says to the woman afterwards, woman, your sins are forgiven. He turns to the woman and says, woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All of the other Pharisees were thinking, who is this that, that forgives sins? Who is this that forgives sins? The reason why this is so important in today's text is because this woman decided to do something. This sinful woman, this woman who, who, who was just left with the name, uh, just a sinful woman. That's how they introduced her in the Bible. She kind of reminds me of this girl I went to elementary school with. Her name was Dirty Kathy. And uh, Dirty Kathy was uh, dirty. Dirty Kathy, her, her hair was a little off. Her, her clothes weren't all that nice. No one wanted to talk to Dirty Kathy. No one wanted to look at Dirty Kathy. Uh, people ran from Dirty Kathy at recess. And, and if C Dirty Kathy touched you, you were just dirty like Dirty Kathy. Dirty Kathy was just like this woman in the Bible. No one wanted to be next to this woman. No one wanted to talk to this woman. This woman was a sinful woman. She's identified as a sinful woman. The Bible actually uses this word in Greek, hermatolos which means she was preeminently sinful. She was especially wicked, and she was devoted to sin. This woman had the PhD of sinning, but she heard that Jesus was going to be in the house. And so she decided, I'm going to get to Jesus. It's interesting because in this custom, whenever you had a special guest at your house, um, your neighbors and friends would actually come and just stand on the side of the wall and just to see who you had and kind of be nosy and see what you fed the guests. Um, so, some people do that when you walk in church. Who are you? What are you doing here? You don't look like you. That's what happens sometimes. This woman, she decided, I'm going to church to see Jesus. And in the sinful, the sinful, the thing about her was so interesting is that she pressed her way despite all of the Pharisees, the people who looked up at her, the people who would judge her, the people who knew about her sin, the people who talked about her. She said, I'm going to press forward to see Jesus. Sometimes, sometimes if you want to get your identity, you want to know who you are in Christ. The first thing you got to do if you're taking notes is stop looking at the haters and the spectators in the room. If you want to know who you are and whose you are in Christ Jesus, you've got to stop looking at the haters and the spectators in the room. You see, the people who are going to look at you because you decided to give your life to Christ, the people who are going to look at you because of the sin that you used to do and the things that you've done in the past, the people who are going to look bad on you because you've been through the divorce and because you've been married and it didn't work out because you used to do drugs, you've got to stop looking at the haters and the spectators in the room. You got to stop looking at the haters and the spectators in the room. This is interesting. It says this, when the Pharisees who invited Jesus, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that she is. She's a sinner. This Pharisees, they thought this. They, they, they thought about 
this woman. When she walked in, their minds started going. I remember when she did this and she did that and he did this and he did that. They thought that to themselves, but I serve a God who's not going to defend my, their thoughts, but he's going to speak out against it. See, Jesus decided this. He said, I've got something to tell you. I got something to tell you. When they were thinking bad, Jesus said, I've got something for you. When you decide to stop focusing on the haters and the spectators, that's when Jesus says, I've got something for you. I've got something to combat their thoughts about you. Because what they think about you doesn't matter, but what I say about you does. Amen? That's what happened in this, in this story. She decided, I'm going to press forward and see Jesus. The second thing we've got to do is if we really want to get a glimpse of our identity and know who we are in Christ Jesus is, we got to first stop focusing on the haters and spectators. But secondly, we've got to get to his feet. We've got to focus on his feet. So this woman did something that's very, very interesting. She walked in the room past every single person that was there. All of the, the Pharisees, the people who, who looked like they had it together. She walked past them, Simon, the other, the religious leaders who, hmm, that's really what it's, hmm. She got to Jesus' feet and she began to wet his feet with her tears as she began to weep. Some biblical scholars actually think that this woman had an encounter with Jesus in the past, that she knew exactly who he was, that she had some type of interaction that really, really made her come and do this crazy act of, of wetting and kissing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. But what she did was, the symbol of that is she decided that I'm going to get some separation from me and my haters, from me and the people who have something to say about me that just isn't right. She made it some separation. She decided if um, I'm going to get behind Jesus and let Jesus worry about them while I focus on him. See, what happens when we come to church, we're worried about who's sitting next to us and how they raise their hands and how they worship and what they've got on and what they may have done. But God is saying, don't worry about it. If you come to the house and you focus on me, you'll get a glimpse of who I am. You, you'll receive some identity if you decide to focus on me and not worrying about the crowd. This woman did that, and Jesus turned to her, and in very, very small words, he gave her something so big. Some translations say he said, daughter, your sins are forgiven. I don't know about you, but she walked into the room in everyone else's point of view as a sinful woman, but she left a daughter. She walked into the room mistreated and abused and, 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 and ugly, and she walked into the room kind of like, Dirty Kathy, but she left a daughter. She left a daughter. You see, she began to get her identity when she put this, 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 this selfless act of worship. When she began to weep at his feet and worship the king, he gave her an identity. If you decide, I'm going to, to get to the king He's got more for you. He's got an identity for you. See, when you decide to worship him, you realize that you are redeemed. You realize that you are the temple of the living God. You realize that you, you are a child of the most high God. And then you can begin to affirm yourself. And I am a child of God. I am a head, the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I'm the lender and not a borrower. When you decide to focus on Jesus and not the haters around you, you begin to get an identity of who God says you are. That's what happens when you do that.
This woman, this, this, this woman decided, I'm, I'm going to offer up a worship. And when that happened, God said, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Son, you are forgiven. Daughter, you are forgiven. Child of mine, you are forgiven. You see, I, I, I really believe that sometimes we need to take this posture that the woman had. We need to come into the house of God focused on getting to the feet of Jesus. Focused on getting to the feet of Jesus so he can reveal and give us revelation about who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. The interesting thing is you can't just know who you are in Christ without knowing whose you are in Christ. If you're here today and you're searching, you're searching for the answer to the question, who am I? What am I put on earth for? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? If you're searching for the questions, I want to give you the answer. If you're here today and you have not met my Lord and Savior, the one who looks at you, gives you an identity and says, you're forgiven. The one who doesn't see you like your past mistakes and your past sins. The one who doesn't let your past sins linger around. If you're here today and you need to meet him, I'm offering. All over the room, you just bow your heads. The appeal I have is if, if that's you today, if that's you, if you haven't given your life to Christ, if you haven't submitted and if you haven't reached the feet of Jesus, now is the time. If that's you on the count of three, I just want you to lift your hands. One, two, three. That's one hand. You see, there's room at the cross, but there's always room at Jesus' feet. There's always room at his feet. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in his presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.